0: Hello and welcome to Kanan Rent's Sound of Play one hundred and fifteen. Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 115 is our returning guest, Andrew Brown. Hello. Hey, of course, people will be familiar with you. You've been on at least two regular Sound of Plays and then the Zella special. Am I remembering that correctly? That sounds right, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, play critically on Twitter as well, where you are almost frighteningly active. I, I, I always notice whenever I post something, it's always within a matter of seconds that I hear back from you. You're, you're very quick on the trigger there.
1: Oh, I'm sorry if I'm harassing you. I just, I, I don't have a life. So oh, that's... <laughs> I'm closing no, in uh, on 100,000
0: <laughs> tweets. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, well, you are bringing us a uh, song from a game that I have not played myself. This is from Ironcast. Am I remembering this as the match Four game that is uh, set in a a kind of industrial revolution mech type of uh, world? Is that correct?
1: That's exactly what it is. It's mm. very steampunk. It's a mech battling, but the entire game mechanic is driven by match four mechanics.
0: Cool. How does that end up working out? <laughs> Much
1: better than you would think. If you want to fire your weapon, you've got to line up your ammunition, match for the ammunition, although you can match more than mm. four, you can match less than four. Once mm. you've got them loaded into your mech, then mm. you can fire them using coolant, and then you have to replenish your coolant, and And you have to build up energy to power your defenses. And then you can also repair. And then there's all kinds of little bonus things that you can match into it as well that add to your overall score. It's a pretty complicated game, but it's not hard to learn. And it works way better than you would think it would.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course, this is out on Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC so a wide release there. I noticed in the title of the the game and the game's logo it is uh, Ironcast established in 1886. Now uh, 1886 is also the year of the order. So I wonder like what in history Happened in 1886 that makes all of these fiction writers really latch on to that one year in particular.
1: Well, it was the time of Tesla. Okay, I don't know much history about Tesla, but maybe something <laughs> happened then. I know it was also the year that the Statue of Liberty was erected in New York Harbor. So hmm. uh, it could just be that that was the height of both the Gilded Era and the Industrial Age. So it just is a natural. Place to set things set in that setting.
0: Well, anyways, uh that track was called The Barbary. It's composed by Ed Hargreave. Now, what is it about that track in particular that really stood out to you?
1: Well, when I was playing Iron Cast, I was often made uncomfortable by the morality it espouses. It's uh mm-hmm. it's very nationalistic and very mm-hmm. unapologetic about the characters that are in it and the things that they do to win the battles. Uh, so I, I kind of saw that manifested in this song in particular, which is has this tense, driving, militaristic music yeah. that really suits the Met combat. And it's it's dark and fearful, and it lacks like the triumph of other war music like Sousa or Tchaikovsky. So it uh, really seemed to suit that aspect of the game quite well. But there is that slight undertone throughout it of orchestra bells, which adds this little bit of whimsy to the darkness. So I thought maybe there was something there suggesting this is dark stuff, but don't take it too seriously.
0: That's interesting. So when you say that it plays into the uh, nationalism that oftentimes accompanies war, does it do it in a kind of detached examination of the idea? Or do you have the uh, the impression that it is fully believing in the philosophies that it uh, puts out there? As
1: far as what the game is saying, I'm I'm really unsure because the tone <laughs> is very difficult to read. But in some of the missions, you will go after fellow Britons who have turned rogue against your organization, have joined up With the french who are invading you find out later on why they did that and maybe they had good reasons for it but the game doesn't make Mm. a judgment on that but when your character confronts them there's no mercy. It's you have betrayed us. You deserve this. You are going to die. It makes me very, very uncomfortable.
0: This is one that you would recommend to listeners for a unique gameplay experience?
1: Yeah, if you're into match four games, or if you're into strategy games, or if you're into met combat, I think you would get a kick out of Ironcast.
0: Very cool. I like those oddities that come our way in the blend gameplay styles. And, uh, speaking of that, we have a lovely track here from Undertale coming next, a crowd favorite, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder to find a track that hasn't been already featured, but, uh, the entire soundtrack is really so memorable and so good that it's, uh, is plenty to choose from, uh, this particular track is called Asgore and is from, uh, It's always kind of hard to say the final battle of that game in particular, but uh, one of a series of possible final battles that (laughs) that can uh, fall at one of the possible ends of a player's game, depending on how they have played. Uh, But what I like about this track in particular is that the instrumentation is really smartly implemented. I I like that it starts off, I don't want to call them like an 8-bit sound, but it kind of the, the hollower instruments that evoke an earlier era of video games uh, without actually adhering to the like actual types of of square waves and triangle waves that would have been uh, used by the previous consoles but uh, you know it just it kind of like tonally brings that up but it uh, yeah starts off with a the very kind of narrow i guess a range of instruments when the chorus or the, the bridge comes around it kicks in just very suddenly with a whole other range of instruments with different sounds and uh, and quite a, a richer feel and I like how sudden that shift is and it just really brings that final bit of the repeating refrain home and uh, yeah it's 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 quite a transition that it makes and the the tune itself Throughout the track is also really catchy and uh, brings back a lot of the motifs that are brought up throughout Undertale. Uh, now, this seems like the kind of game that you would probably like. Is this one that you've um spent a lot of time with before?
1: Not a lot of time because mm-hmm. for the longest time, it was only available on PC. I did yeah. play through it at the end of January when the main Cane and Rs podcast covered it, but hmm. even though I finished the game with a neutral playthrough and with a full pacifist playthrough, I still felt like I had barely penetrated <laughs> all the stuff that was in it. I was kind of taken aback by how much deeper and denser this game was than I was really comprehending just by reading the discourse about it. Yeah. So uh but it's out on PlayStation 4 now. I'm expecting it to get ported to the Switch before long here. I will probably spend more time with it when that happens what struck me with this song and especially with the context that it plays in. I don't want to give too many spoilers here because it's an amazing Mm -hmm. game and you should play it. Uh, But it it feels really like an upbeat song for the moment that it represents. Uh, Yeah, that's
0: true. By
1: the time you get to this point and you're encountering Asgore, you've learned a lot more about him. So you kind of wonder, is defeating him however you choose to defeat him? Is it such a good thing? So I got to thinking it's kind of a reactive or a contrasting tune. How you hear the song depends upon how you're Mm. playing the game, which is what's wonderful about video games. Uh, If you plan to spare him, then it's this moment of triumph in spite of Mm. there being no quote-unquote solution to the encounter. Or if you're on the genocide path, then the upbeat music ironically contrasts your intentions. Yeah,
0: yeah, or maybe even plays into those intentions based on how gleefully you take the genocide run mm-hmm. let's let the song speak for itself this is asgore by toby fox composed for undertale which we have spoken about in canaan issue 256 very recently <laughs> Back with a request from the forum. This comes from Bloody Initiate, who says, I love this song. It made entering co op so exciting in Portal 2. The song informs you that you were definitely going to have an awesome time. It is also one of the first things I hear each morning when I wake up because I've set it as an alarm tone. Oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> this is a track called Science is Fun, composed by Mike Moreski from Portal 2. And um, yeah, I, I was realizing as i was uh, looking through our big list of tracks that we've covered in the past that uh, we've never featured any music from portal 2 wow and yeah and portal 2 while i don't think it has the strongest soundtrack uh at least something that like i don't find myself like humming the tunes like i would with a banjo kazooie or mario world or something it has a really recognizable sound to it and and more kind of the tonal quality of the music rather than the actual tunes themselves but there's something very uh very robotic very scientific about the way that it's composed and mm-hmm. the and the the instruments that it brings up it has a lot more of that kind of deriving energy than the first game did, which took a lot more minimalist approach and let you mostly just kind of hear the environmental sounds around you, which Portal 2 has plenty of. But when the music kicks in, it just, uh, yeah, it's a kick-ass soundtrack. I really like it a lot. Now, of course, you sounded a little surprised when I said we hadn't featured any music from Portal 2. Is this a soundtrack that you uh, often spend a lot of time listening to?
1: Uh, It's not actually, Uh, I will be hard-pressed to recall any of the incidental music from Portal except for still alive of course, but uh, I understand that this is the song that you play when you begin playing the co-op mode, so I'm struck by the Mm -hmm. contrast that it makes between the rest of the music in the game, because in the Mm -hmm. main game you're the human Chell and you're pitted against the scientific horrors in Aperture Science. But through that exploration literally into the depths of Aperture Science, you actually end up exposing their human element through Cave Johnson and through his secretary, Carolyn. But when you're playing the co-op mode, you actually are the scientific horrors, and the song reflects that. So it's spooky and it's ominous, but it's not actually overtly threatening. And there are always more robots to replace you in the perpetual testing initiative. It's always going to continue. So it might be existentially horrifying to view it as a human from the outside, but on the co-op side, when you're actually playing as these robots, you're witnessing aperture science without that human element. It's science Mm. by science for science. And that's what I hear when I listen to this
0: song. Science is fun. And there's one particular, I don't want to call it a fact because that's what we're here to verify, but a uh, tidbit that I heard very, very early on uh, once Portal 2 was released, and I, I got curious about it the other week and wanted to trace it back because it was one of those things where, uh, you know, you'll hear something and it'll kind of rattle around in the back of your mind for a long time. And then you don't ever hear it again from any other sources. And it makes you think like, did I just imagine that? Or, you know, was that uh, fact mistaken or, you know? And so I tried to put it out on Twitter to see if, If anyone else could verify hearing about this fact, I didn't get any responses, but, um, there was a quote from, and I looked it up. It was in USA Today, an interview that was done by the Game Hunters. I guess that's, uh, I don't know, one of the communities on USA Today's website. It says, and I'll just uh, read out the quote here, that lead composer Mike Moraski implemented a procedurally generated music system so that in certain areas of Portal 2, the score is generated in real time based on the player's actions. There is at least one piece of music that only repeats itself every 76,911 years, 125 days, 7 hours, 56 minutes, and 30.3 seconds. Which is um, that's interesting.
1: That's aperture science right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into using like mathematics to create interesting music. You know, I, I love the whole scene of of progressive rock and art rock and this kind of uh, you know more mathematically determined uh, type of m- music and this idea that they uh, that the composer would have created an algorithm that would perpetually loop parts of the music over different pieces. And so it would only repeat itself after, you know, much, much longer than even a civilization could live to listen to it. It's really cool. But again, I can only find that fact in that one source and Mm -hmm. it drives me crazy because I feel like this is the kind of thing that people would talk about if it were actually true. So I, you know, other than I could shoot Mike an email and I might do that, but, uh, it's just it's it's weird to not see this ever mentioned by anyone else so i i can't say whether it's true or not but oh, it's interesting and i i so want it to be true <laughs> anyways let's listen to science is fun composed by mike maraski from portal 2 which we have also spoken about in Kanan rinse issue 130 a little while back now Now, this is a game that you've been talking about a lot earlier this year. This is one that uh, released to fairly mixed reception. I'll say it definitely had, yeah, yeah, it had its uh, supporters. But uh, for the most part, I think a lot of people walked away from it uh, rather unimpressed or um, let down. But oftentimes, people within video games, we will... We will recognize that that is not because there's anything necessarily wrong with the game. It's sometimes uh, games are a bit of a slow burn. How did you find this game and how do you react to a lot of the criticisms uh, surrounding has-been heroes?
1: I was drawn to this game for two reasons. One, it was one of the first new releases on Switch. Uh, Mm -hmm. and i needed new games to play on it so i was really (laughs) looking forward to it Uh but also just the personality and just the concept of the game because uh in it you play as old broken down like heroes the the has-been heroes and you have to escort these two princesses to school that is the plot of the game (laughs) it quickly gets more complicated because as you're escorting them to school you're actually attacked by a necromancer who kills you That is the Mm. first thing that happens in the game, is the entire party dies. That kind of exposes you to what you can expect from this game, because it is hard. You die Mm. a lot. It is a roguelite, so you're expected to die a lot, but this is hard even for a roguelite. I think I've beaten, I've had a successful completion four or five times total, (laughs) which is pretty intense, I think, for a roguelite, a modern roguelite anyway, not so much for the original rogue. I was just really drawn to that personality and just that concept, so even though I was getting my butt handed to me repeatedly, I just enjoyed it because I thought it was a fun game and a fun idea, so I just kept coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it. A lot of the critics did complain about how repetitive it was and Mm -hmm. how there wasn't a lot of enemy variety, how there wasn't a lot of level variety, which I think is both true and is not true. Because I think the game's biggest problem is how everything is locked behind walls that you have Mm. to break down and you have to unlock to get. Uh, At the start, when you're first starting the game, I would be astonished if the game is even beatable with the starting things that you have unlocked. You have Mm -hmm. to play a few rounds. You have to lose a lot to unlock the good items. And then you have to get lucky enough to actually find the items in the world. So that way you can use them against the final boss. And then when you beat the final boss, then you unlock new levels. You unlock new heroes to use. You unlock new enemies. And it's just that process over and over and over again. you lose until you unlock enough stuff to let you win, then you unlock Mm. more stuff So that way you can lose more until you win again. It's just, it's a very vicious cycle. It's not intuitive. I can definitely understand someone saying it's not fun, but I appreciated the tone of the game and also the strategy aspect of it as well. It's all about time management and there's actually a lot of basic addition in it as well. Uh, each of your heroes can attack either once, twice, or three times, and you have to use those numbers to break down the enemy's defenses. And if you don't break mm-hmm. down their defenses correctly, then they never lose their stamina and you actually can't hurt them all that much at all. And then eventually they just overwhelm you until the entire your entire side of the screen is just flooded with enemies and you, just, you get destroyed. It's not an easy game to describe. It's not easy to play. Uh, I am very sympathetic to people who didn't enjoy it and reviewed it poorly. Uh, I think part of that might be to just the way that we review games where they've got to be done quickly and then we got to move on. And this game's people just didn't have the investment time to put into it because you have to put a lot of time into it to succeed at it which I've done, I feel, I've done, and I I enjoy it a lot. And I I feel bad I don't play it more because there's just so much stuff coming out Mm. that I've got to keep up on.
0: (laughs) And now, does it keep a good sense of humor throughout? Because I can imagine that would be very difficult in a roguelite type of game.
1: The characters have some like funny things to say, like you'll come across like some chess on the road and your characters will say, Oh, this isn't suspicious at all. Like one of the princesses is this really perky, bubbly person, and the other one's like this moody goth girl. It's <laughs> it's an interesting uh-huh. contrast. It's a it's a fun game.
0: This particular piece of music Sounds like um, probably not played with real instruments, probably synthetic. Yeah. What is it about the music that you really like?
1: I chose this song from the Glacier level uh, because, well, first of all, ice music in video games I find I nearly always like. I don't know why. There's just something about the way music designers approach ice levels where they always make songs that kind of emphasize isolation and sounds that sound cold, like in a synesthetic effect. Glacier, I don't think, is the best example of that I've ever heard. And yet, still one of my favorite songs in the entire soundtrack. And Has Been Heroes is typified by these long moments of slow, pensive planning with sudden bursts of action and movement as you execute your plans. And I think all of the battle songs really helped to bring this aspect of the game out. But Glacier, I think, is particularly successful in that because it's defined by this underlying bass string chorus, and it makes you feel like you're constantly moving forward, but you're not actually being driven or rushed forward, Mm -hmm. which is important because you do have to do a lot of planning and take your time. It feels like action is happening, but not at the expense of deliberation or intention.
0: When the brass kicks in in this this piece, it sounds like it's being played alone in a big room and mm. that kind of isolation which you're talking about with these snow levels is uh yeah it, it comes through there that's um, probably because you know when you're outside you hear all the sounds of nature around you of the 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 birds and the crickets and the traffic even it's hard to avoid that even if you go out into the woods these days uh, but in the snow oftentimes all those noises go away and you just feel really, uh, really alone a lot more than you would otherwise, you know, the, the birds aren't out, the bugs aren't out. The, uh, animals are, are tucked into their homes and even the, the cars aren't running as much because people like to stay off the roads in the snow. So it does get kind of eerily quiet, but that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's peaceful sometimes. Sometimes it's a bit weird and, uh, uncanny but uh it yeah that it comes through here this is glacier battle by frozen bite internal team has been heroes a very fun, lively, upbeat piece here. This is one that I've liked for a really long time, ever since I played F-Zero GX on the GameCube originally, back in 2003. It's a long time ago now. But F-Zero GX had the uh, typical, like, you know, heavy metal type of racing songs that you would expect. The, yeah, electronica, a little bit of metal, a little bit of, you know, just whatever it needs to Get that um, that death race feeling going, you know, as you're you're rocketing around these tracks. But almost half of its soundtrack, I would say, is in uh, kind of hidden. Not necessarily hidden. It's not like Easter eggs or something, but it's somewhere that you probably wouldn't think to look for. A wide variety of of musical compositions, and it almost makes me wonder, like, why they bothered i mean it's great that they did but it's just such a weird addition and um you know it comes from in the main menu there's kind of like an archive screen that lets you read through the bios of each of the characters and view a model of their car that you can rotate around and look at from all angles just to get a little bit of a better uh, look at those um, art assets that went into making the game but each of the characters, and there are a lot of them actually in F-Zero GX, uh, each of the characters has their own individually composed theme in entirely different genres of music. Some of them with lyrics, some of them with, uh, you know, just instrumental compositions. And they're all so like diverse and weird and cool and just like really well composed that it's interesting that This huge assortment of music is just for this one menu, essentially, just a dump of uh, background text of bios for each of these characters. This one in particular is for the character Octoman, who is, as he sounds, (laughs) kind of like just a giant octopus wearing a suit. Not like Octodad necessarily, but uh, also not a million miles off. Uh, a little bit more intimidating figure, this one. <laughs> and it's just real bouncy and dancey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really catchy and um, it entertained a 13-year-old me when I was playing this for the first time. And uh, when I go back to it today, it still makes me smile. (laughs) Did you play F-Zero GX on the GameCube?
1: I did not play it on the GameCube. Uh, I just, it missed me somehow. I think, Mm -hmm. wasn't that game really hard to find on the GameCube in the US? I thought that was the case, but
0: I don't remember it being hard to find, but it definitely was hard to play. (laughs)
1: Okay. But uh, there is, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon in the United Mm -hmm. States, and there is a local bar here called Quarter World that actually has the full F-Zero GX cabinet. It has the whole car thing that you sit in, and it has even the slot you can plug your GameCube memory card into. So I, I have played that but I have not played the original game. Uh, Maybe if Nintendo ever puts a GameCube classic, I'll play it then, but (laughs) Mm. (laughs) we'll see. I was struck this is probably the best dance track of all our selections here, but (laughs) it didn't really feel like a racing song to me. So Mm. uh, just going off of my impressions of the song, having not played the game, I suspected... I think this is just a song that plays on a character page. So I was spot
0: on on that. Even for people who haven't played the game, I would, uh, I'd recommend going through these character songs because they're all really interesting and it's, it's fun because they all embody the the spirit of each character in a really fun way. And so you, you learn a little bit about the characters just by hearing the type of music that accompanies them. I actually played a little bit of, uh, F-Zero pretty recently over at... Over at Darren Gargett's place, over in England, I was I was visiting there for a couple weeks. This game was quite a looker back in the days. It, it was stunning how fast it moved and the, especially the the lightning effects and the uh, uh, just the feeling of velocity of the cars and the the detail in the tracks and a lot of the environmental effects, uh, which I mean, always to be fair, come through. Uh, especially song and racing games. They're able to dedicate a lot of that uh, graphical power to making the courses look really nice. But there's something about the art direction in F-Zero GX that really stood out at the time. And I was pleased to discover that it still looks great. And so I definitely recommend people to go back to it. You know, I feel like it hasn't really aged a day in its time. Of course, there are uh, more modern alternatives. There is a Red Out for um, modern consoles, as well as uh, Fast Racing Neo and Fast RMX for the Wii U and Switch respectively, which take the F-Zero legacy and run with it um, and bring it into a more modern age. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to go wrong with F-Zero GX. It's, uh, it's still a great game and uh, definitely worth revisiting if you ever have the opportunity. It's a good one. So... Anyways, let's listen to a little bit of weird F-Zero music that doesn't sound like F-Zero music at all. This is Octoman by Hidenori Shoji and Daiki Kasho. From Colin Alonso from the forum, who says, A few years ago, I bought a copy of Klonoa 2, Lunaty's Veil, for the PS2 from a retro game store on a whim. I was somewhat aware of the original Klonoa and its Wii remake, but I didn't even know that it had a sequel until then. The game is a charming, if simple, 2.5D platformer with some fun mechanics involving grabbing enemies and using them for double jumping, bombs, switches, or more, depending on the type of enemy grabbed. I found it to be very enjoyable, and the soundtrack was a particular highlight. Going to Lunity, the title of this track, plays near the end of the first level after two quieter pieces of music. It lets you know the adventure is really underway. It's a cheery track with a number of different instruments used throughout. Yes, this is called Going to Lunity. This is composed by some combination of Kanako Kikino, Eriko Imura, Asuka Sakai, Yuji Masabuchi, Katsuro Tajima, Goshina Hiromi Shibano and or Kota Takahashi. Yes, yeah, so it's oftentimes kind of hard to to find out who composed which tracks especially in Japanese games, but uh you know, that is the the full list of them and that is a large sound team for this game. So they really must have had some uh, either quite a budget to bring in such talent or uh, maybe creative disagreements along the way. It's always kind of hard to tell. <laughs> um, this comes from, of course, Klonoa 2, Lunatee's Veil. Vale. And uh, I've never, to my shame, played a Klonoa game in the past, but I've always been interested in them. And I think it's just because the main character, Klonoa, has such a strong character design. It was always really Uh, striking when i ever when i saw the boxes on the shelves when i was younger have you been through any of the Klonoa games in the past yes and
1: no i played the demo of the first Klonoa on playstation one because i had the demo disc that from playstation magazine that i totally didn't steal from a grocery store uh when i was like 12 so uh (laughs) it was the first 3d side-scrolling platformer i've ever played uh Mm -hmm. games like that were that were side-scrolling platformers but used polygons and had three dimensional backgrounds that rotated around as you ran by and were pretty niche in that era uh and i i think i was kind of on board with the the playstation argument of if it's not gonna be a 3d game please don't make it because uh, I was young and ignorant, so uh, it, it was the first game of that style I'd really played. It messed with my head on uh, what I thought I understood about how I perceived video game worlds to work, because I'm running to the right, and suddenly the world behind me is rotating around at a 90-degree mm-hmm. angle, but I'm still running to the right, and uh, it, it really confused me. Uh, but I obviously have come around to that style now, and I quite appreciate them. I would like to play more of them, please. But I remember it being a bright, breezy game, uh, and the preponderance of uh, uh, breathy, windy, synthesized instruments in this track really reinforces that memory.
0: Yeah, this track is almost oppressively cheery. <laughs> you know, it's it, it feels like it's warming up to some kind of a dropout in the mood, or, you know, some kind of a like a musical twist but it just keeps on kind of steamrolling us with its uh with its happiness and you know once you once you come around to it that that's its intention then uh it is quite catchy it's quite fun sometimes i get annoyed by songs that are this happy <laughs> this consistently but uh i don't know something about this kind of won me over in the end so let's uh let's hear going to lunatee from klonoa 2 lunatee's veil vale. Another request from the forum, and this is another uh, kind of a cheery, cheery, weird one, and I like those. This comes from Joshi Hatsumitsu, who says, I'm currently only a mere 34 hours. <laughs> mere 34 hours. Wow. Yeah, this is an RPG, though, so I can see that. In Tokyo Mura Sessions, sharp FE on Ye Old Wii U, and settling in comfortably. Usually, J pop is not my thing, nor idle culture but what is keeping me invested is the quality of the music and maybe a little stockholm syndrome <laughs> one piece of music that has earwormed into my brain occurs when you visit anzu in harajuku i visited that street in harajuku in real life and as a mid 30s white guy i felt instantly out of place while this game is highly stylized and takes liberties with real world locations it does a remarkable job of capturing the feel of certain parts of tokyo and for some reason, the combination of the music I selected and the girl who works in anzu with her energy level, felt pretty true to life. Yes, this is Anzu by Yoshiaki Fujisawa from Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp FE. Now, Andrew, you are, of course, a staunch defender of uh, oftentimes overlooked Nintendo exclusive games. Uh, is this one that you have also been a crusader for in the past?
1: I own it. I have played it. I would like a Switch release for it, please. But mm-hmm. um, I have very strong mixed feelings about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Okay, I, I'm not experienced enough with, the, with these series really to say what exactly it is. I don't know if it's a Shin Megami Tensei game or a Persona game. It's mm-hmm. one of those two crossed over with a Fire Emblem game. But the Fire Emblem stuff is pretty superficial. If you're a Fire Emblem fan... I don't think you're going to get much out of this because it's yeah. it's very on the other side of that contrast. And uh, there's some characters that are thrown in that those are your personas in this game is the Fire Emblem characters. It's pretty shallow, but the RPG mechanics are fantastic. I have nothing but praise for them. Other parts of the game I'm really critical of. The entire game is a metaphor for Japanese pop culture but it's in no way critical of it. Uh, mm. it, it. It's not an examination of it. It's just a representation of it. Uh, and I'm obviously I'm coming at this from a, a United States perspective. So I, I've, I've got to be careful to emphasize that I'm talking about the game here, not about Japanese culture. Uh, but this is how I see the game and what it's showing is a uh, mm. lot of stuff that makes me really uncomfortable. There was that whole controversy with the censorship when it was brought over where we got some memes about it that with words that I'm not going to use on this podcast <laughs> uh, and uh, character models were changed uh, to hide to make the clothing more modest. And like the entire second chapter is about helping uh, the the main female character become more comfortable in her appearance mm-hmm. uh, in the Japanese version of the game. The result is she if you choose, can run around the rest of the game wearing a a swimsuit, a bikini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in the American version, in the U.S. version, and probably in the other regions as well, I'm not, I don't know for sure, uh, she gets like this a little more sporty kind of like a, a jean overalls with cutoffs. It, it's not nearly as suggestive uh and also i should add these characters are 16 uh (laughs) uh, there's another there's another guy who is explicitly a retired rock star who has this really uncomfortable relationship with a girl who i think is 13 years old Mm. uh it's just all this stuff that is just shown just as it is it's not a criticism of it it's not a farce it's not a parody it's just this is what it is enjoy it's like i can't enjoy this this makes me very uncomfortable but that is that's why i have mixed feelings about tokyo mirage sessions the music i am on the same page for the most part is joshi hashimitsu i hope i said that right uh i have not had a lot of exposure to j-pop so uh i can't say if it's any good I can say that like the main, like the idol song that the, the main woman character gets to say to sing is stuck in my head. So I don't know (laughs) if that means it's good or not, but it's there and it won't go away. But a lot of the other music and especially this one that plays in like a convenience store, I believe is the location. I think this song is just really annoying. (laughs) It's annoying sounds deranged into this melodic Mm. soundscape, but it does really well emphasize this alien environment that you mm-hmm. are in uh it's uh all the places you go to are the like these abstract representations of the places that you are quote unquote in because it's a persona game, so like you're in worlds inside of your own world mm-hmm. like when this one you when you're in the convenience store and it's also a convenience store run by a demon Anzu who I understand is a recurring character in. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei, and uh, so what we're perceiving here is a shadow of what we do know, and so it's it's creepy, it's ominous, it's uh, uncomfortable. It's not an unappealing song, but it's, to my ears,
0: not a song written for human ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's interesting that the context definitely does help me kind of understand this composition, so um, yeah, I'm kind of interested to listen to it now. This is Anzu from Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp F.E. Right now this next track Nero Voider. that is a uh, name that I am uh, familiar with hearing but I don't know anything about the game so I'm going to have to let you take over on this one
1: Uh Nero Voider is a game made by Flying Oak Games which is available on Switch, Playstation 4 Xbox One and Steam it is a post-apocalyptic hmm. robotic Diablo-esque roguelike twin stick shooter <laughs>
0: It's a lot of tick boxes there.
1: Yeah. It takes place like in in the far future matrix, like where the robots have taken over everything. As far as I can tell, there are only four humans left and all of them exist as brains inside of a jar. Mm. And at the start of the game is you're broken out. You play as one of the brains. You're broken out of your tube and you use it to take over a nearby robot and you go on a killing spree across this entirely roboticized earth. Uh, and you can upgrade your robot after every level with all the guns and all the new chassis and new wheels. So it's highly customizable. That's where all the Diablo stuff comes in. Mm. And it's a really fast rogue game, though. So you're dying a lot. You're starting over a lot. You're always adding new stuff onto your robot. You're always going to have a very different experience every time you you play it. And it takes about an hour to beat it overall. So it's... It's a, a game with a lot of turnover. If you're into twin stick shooters and you're looking for something a little more complicated than RoboTron, I think you'd get a kick out of it.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I do like this music a lot. I think especially the kind of intro before it kicks into its main refrain is is super cool. It has a that really neat kind of um, like cyberpunk feel to it. That kind of electronica that plays by. Uh, kind of heavy metal rules a little bit has the very dramatic hits of the instruments and it kicks into its main loop with the more kind of upbeat drum backing and uh, you know it's very exciting as well always has um, a lot of really interesting instrumental sounds to complement the main tune that it plays and uh yeah there's a lot going on this one i really like its sound especially in headphones it it sounds really nice yeah i'm a huge fan of the new soundtrack it's by dan terminus
1: he actually has a a whole album out i i'm not Hmm. sure if the game devs were fans of the album and took the album and made it just be all the songs be the soundtrack to their game or if dan terminus just took the songs he made and made an album out of it all i know is they are available separately if you like the music it's all fantastic. I really struggled to pick just one song from it to use. I think I chose wisely, but I yeah. really hope
0: you enjoy this song. Well, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to seek this one out. I-, I like the sound of it. So this is Avalanche by Dan Terminus from Nero Voider. left, but if you like what we've played so far and you have other video game tracks that you feel would be uh, would be complementary to the selections that we we tend to make or uh, even tracks that go in completely opposite directions. We want to have a huge uh, variety of game tracks from all different eras of gaming, from all different genres of games, from uh, composers we've never even heard of before. It's, It's all wonderful, all lovely. Uh, you can request those over at caneandrince.com forum, or you can uh, shoot it to us on Twitter at caneandrince or our Facebook page. You can find us uh, at caneandrince there as well. Request these tracks on any of these locations and they will be played in a future Sound of Play as long as they're not like licensed tracks or anything like that. That's, uh, you know, not just your favorite track from Guitar Hero. But otherwise, we're we're pretty chill about about what goes on here. Uh, Do check out our main Cane and Rinse podcast if you haven't already. It's a wonderful place where we give rather thorough examinations of uh, one video game at a time. And if you enjoy thorough examinations of video games... Why not talk to our guest Andrew Brown on Twitter here. He is at Play Critically. Is there anything else that you would like to draw our uh, listeners' attention to while you have the the floor?
1: Yes, please. Um I am also part of a podcast called Switch Focus Podcast. Obviously mm. from the title it's a Nintendo Switch fancast. It's <laughs> weekly. We talk about all the new releases and all the new news for the Nintendo Switch. The Switch is having a huge year. Quarter 4 is absolutely out of control right now. It's impossible for us to keep up with everything that is being released. Uh, In the next issue, we've got our panelist, Ginny Wu, interviewing the developers of Death Squared, and we're hoping to have a bunch more interviews coming out soon, including with the developers of Wolverblade, uh, if they ever get back to me in my emails again. Mm. Uh, So do tune into that. You can contact us on Twitter at SwitchFocusPod and our website, switchfocuspodcast.com.
0: Cool, cool. Well, check that out. Thanks again for joining us today. Always a pleasure. And we are taking you out with a uh, really lovely orchestral composition. I've requested a song from this a few weeks back now, but uh, this is another track from Battlefield 1, although you probably wouldn't guess by listening to it. (laughs) It's a really... Kind of peaceful and serene track. This is called the flight of the pigeon. Uh, kind of funnily enough, but it is um, in a part of the game where your unit that you're fighting with is stranded in in this tank that's broken down in the middle of enemy territory, and you have to um, kind of rely upon a carrier pigeon to carry a message back to your forces to uh, kind of artillery shell the area surrounding you so that you have a chance to. And to clear out the enemies and escape. And um, for a little while, you, the player, take control of this pigeon and fly it over the battlefield back to the base. And uh, it's not a particularly challenging part of the game. It's just meant to be a uh, kind of an escape from what's happening in the the main course of the game. And uh, to that end, it is a memorable part of the game and a really cool diversion from the the war so to speak and this particular track i think backs it up really well it's it starts off really slowly and really kind of softly but it builds into something that's really magnificent partway through the song we will see you next week thank you for listening